Better Call Saul Season 1, Episode 8 is over, but we're just getting started here on Better Call Saul Live on Post Show Recaps. And now, here are the guys who got their podcasting degrees from the University of American Samoa. I'm Rob Tessner. Here's Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you? I'm doing great, Rob. I really want to make sure that I don't go off half-cocked tonight. Full cock. Full cock tonight. That's right. My bad. I'll take your advice. That's fine. I'll do that. All right, Antonio. We're ready to talk about Rico. Yeah, Rico's uh, uh, Yes. <laughs> Lawsuit. All what, right. What did you know about Rico coming into this episode, Rob? Oh, uh, well, everything I know about Rico, I learned from the Sopranos. Well, that's a pretty good start then. Yes. Not Uncle Rico. Not Uncle Rico. Not no, Rico Bronia. Yeah. Oh, old Rico Bronia. Yeah, we're digging deep. I like it. I like yes. it. Yes. So uh, we're talking about Rico, and I feel like this was a little bit of an odd episode of Better Call Saul because I feel like this was almost Saul no slipping Jimmy tonight. This was almost like uh, Saul is trying to go legit. Yeah, I, and it's interesting because we know where he ends up, right? We know he ends up being the guy who is shredding documents uh, with impunity uh, or or just, you know, just kind of like punishing documents at the end of season four in face off, telling his uh, secretary to shred it, shred it, you know, shredding everything. So it's interesting to see him here being full on like young lawyer, uh, and this is really a Chuck episode. I mean, the Chuck in his full form here. Yeah. So Chuck is back, baby. Yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. Until, until, until we let Chuck know that he's back, in which case Chuck is not back. Yeah. All right. So we got a lot to talk about here. We're live here on Monday night. It's March 23rd, 2015. We have in the chat room up on Post Show Recaps a bunch of people talking about the episode. Plus, uh, we're going to be taking your comments and questions during the episode with a hashtag PS Recaps. Also on our YouTube channel at postshowrecaps.com slash YouTube. And of course, only two episodes left of Better Call Saul this season. Uh, the Better Call Saul finale will be in just 14 days, two weeks from tonight. Make sure you don't miss any of it. You can subscribe to our Better Call Saul podcast feed at postshowrecaps.com slash BCS iTunes. All right. Antonio, how's your week been? It's it's the beginning of the week, so I don't know. Monday's always bad for me, Rob. But uh, but I'm I'm uplifted by seeing Mike go to the vet, by seeing Jimmy in the dumpster, by seeing Chuck uh, sitting in a dark room. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling good after tonight, Rob. Is this able to help your melancholy after hearing that the Game of Thrones TV series will get ahead of the books today? Oh boy, that's a. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like it's like being reminded that you're going to die. Like I know Whoa. it's coming. Like I know it's happening. That's you what it's like. Keep, you don't have to keep telling me about it. You know, <laughs> just like let it go. Let me live in my own little fantasy world for a while. Uh, and you know, you're reminded of these horrible things that are going to happen in your future, Rob. All right. Well, let's get into this episode of Better Call Saul, Antonio. Wow, just totally broad strokes. Uh, what was your take on the actual episode tonight? Well, I think it's interesting because I, I feel like we, we talked a little bit about this last week and I talked about it with Mike Bloom when we had the great episode that centered around another Mike uh, in this uh, in this in the context of this series. This is a show that's kind of given us a whole lot of different things uh, where we see Saul and the Jimmy in the desert. We see some light comedy. We see a lot of different things. I think the show's starting to round into form from a narrative structure. And by that, I mean, we now see a case that might take place over a series of episodes. Uh, we see uh, an actual like tie-in with Chuck and whether his illness and the problems that Chuck has had throughout the course of what we know about Chuck uh, will actually come into play and they'll be significant. And we see Mike actually starting to begin his Mike thing. 
So if going forward, this is a show that has Jimmy working on bigger cases and slowly facing these moral dilemmas once we've set the stage for that and Mike getting into these story of the week criminal things, I think that's a show that I'm going to look forward to watching every week. But if tonight was the first example of it, it felt a little bit you know, out of place because it wasn't like the rest of the episodes. But I think I'm a little higher on this episode than it sounds like you, you, Rob. What about you? What did you think about tonight? Yeah, I felt like there was definitely fun moments. But to me, this episode felt a little procedural about what was going on. Like I almost I feel like if this was a Breaking Bad episode, this would be like an episode about Walter White is planning a pop quiz for the chemistry class. <laughs> yeah well what do you want to study today students uh na is sodium you want to talk about that yeah it's interesting i i actually at one point in my notes i wrote i can't believe this show just made the writing of a demand letter seem like a heroic action like i've never seen a legal show where the lawyer is like frantically scribbling a letter in the bathroom and that's like a big hero moment so it was interesting to me for that because it, it does smell like other procedurals not to uh to get into the bathroom or the dumpster there but uh, because you've got a lot of legal wrangling and uh, legal showdowns and things like that. But even in that context, it still is better call Saul. So it's taking things like the writing of a demand letter and making it seem like it's a real life or death moment. So yeah, you're, you're right. There, as you struggle with writing about like or making a legal show, uh, you're going to be in a position where you kind of trend in that procedural elements. But I think this show does a good job of making those procedural things seem really fun and funny. Yes, also, only two episodes left this season. So I don't know what we're building to in the climax of season one, but we're just very close to the end of this season and the end of Better Call Saul for a year to like, again, interesting episode, but I don't know where we're ultimately we're getting to by the end of season one. And I don't know how much further closer we move the ball tonight. Yeah. So you think by the end of this season, uh, it's basically going to be like walking into a big celebration we're having, eating a piece of our cake and saying, eh, we'll revisit in six months. <laughs> yeah, a little bit behind. And we're sort of watching the action behind uh, cl some closed doors and not hearing exactly what we're saying. So, you know, I, I don't want to be too nitpicky, but I just feel like uh, only two episodes left now. Yeah, and that's true. I, I think we kind of speculated, like, is there going to be one story that drives the rest of the season? We talked about this last week. And I think that we're seeing some of that. And maybe it's this big case because I don't know about you, but it sure seems to me like all the little hints with uh, with Jimmy calling Kim is Chuck ready for this. I and, and, and Jimmy saying uh, I remember I know his partnership agreement inside and out. He can work for pro bono. I'm as bono as it gets. I do think all of that and the HHM thing, the kind of larger story we've been telling all season about Jimmy. There's no coincidence. We started tonight's episode at HHM and that Chuck is back in the mix. So I do think we're going to have a real showdown, a face off, if you will, uh, over, over how this case is going to play out because it does appear to be a really good case. Yeah. Do you think that Kim is going to sell out Chuck and Jimmy to the guys at HHM and then they're going to come in and shut this down or take the case away? I wonder about that. That I mean, she has no real reason to except for her own personal gain, right? Like we already saw, and, and we, we talked about this on our show page at postshowrecaps.com after last week's episode, why would HHM want the Kettleman's case back so bad if they were just going to settle? We saw a snippet of that tonight. They wanted the glory. They wanted the fame. And Kim deserved to bask in it, according to Hamlin. And I think that that's, uh, I think that's a really good example of kind of where Kim is in the middle of. She could be like Jimmy 
She sounds like she was like Jimmy. She sounds like she might have come up from the mailroom. Jimmy says to uh, Chuck in this episode when we're getting in the cold open, when she's when he says, yeah, I figured if Kim could do it, I could do it. It sounds to me like they were peers at some point in some way. She's the only one that seems to be hanging with the mailroom people. So we see her on kind of a different path and maybe she will sell him out for her own personal gain. Uh, and that will be really devastating because that we think about what Jimmy's done for her. Uh, Jimmy sent the Kettleman's back. So maybe Jimmy will be his own worst enemy by, again, being a good guy, which is a thing we've seen throughout the season. Well, you know, it really would be a double blow to Jimmy if that was to happen or I guess a triple blow even. And yeah. and not like what you do with the magic flute. Not because, like what you do with the magic flute. That's exactly what I was going to say. Because if that was to happen, if Kim was going to betray Jimmy and, you know, blow the horn instead of the flute of, on what's going on with the McGill brothers over at HHM, one, she would be sticking the knife in Saul's back. Two, she'd be costing Saul a potential $20 million payday. And three, I think that would completely send Chuck into a relapse. Yeah, uh, we, but we when we have to say, though, that something's going to make Jimmy go full Jimmy. Like, there is an arc here to tell with this character. And I found the really interesting thing about this to be last week, for example, uh, he's sitting in that office, a broken man, uh, and he's broken because he did the right thing, because he sent the, the client back to HHM, because he told them to settle the case, because he wouldn't be the scumbag lawyer the Kettleman's wanted him to be. Uh, he's sitting in that room broken and contrast that at the beginning of the season when we meet Gene and Gene is a broken man for having done the wrong thing uh, and having to go on the run and hide himself. It's really interesting that this show can show him broken for both different at completely diametrically opposed reasons. And so it, it's probably going to take something like Kim burning him or Chuck really going crazy or something like that to push him for, further over the edge. And I got to tell you, $20 million lawsuit that your own ingenuity really sniffed out that you really were the one responsible for to get swept out from under you and have it be Hamlin that does it and have it be Kim that does it. That would be a pretty big deal that might push a guy in the wrong direction. So I've definitely got my eyes open for that. All right, Antonio, you are such a wealth of knowledge with all of your legal expertise. Uh, could you just talk us through the legal issues that came up during the episode, Antonio? I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Do you want to ask me about any in particular? Or do you want me to kind of run through them? Yeah, let's sort of just go uh, a, a little bit. Uh, when Jimmy goes to the office and they tell him that he uh, has to leave and he goes into the bathroom and then draws up the letter. Uh, could you give us any sort of background on that? Yeah, the the crazy thing is the last thing I did before I left work tonight was help prepare a lesson for clients about the dangers of spoliation of evidence. Uh, and it's this very particular concept where the, the upshot is he knew when he walked in that door, he heard the shredder going. He knew that they were shredding and destroying evidence that was pertinent to this case. When he goes into the bathroom and he writes the letter, the whole point of doing that in such a hurry in a frantic heroes kind of weird bathroom moment is that that letter serves to put them on notice that they're not allowed to destroy evidence anymore. And at that point, if they do destroy evidence, once that letter has been put out there, uh, they can really be hammered in court. Uh, the, 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 in fact, you can be so hammered in court for destroying evidence that the court can just say, well, we'll just assume that evidence was absolutely as bad as it could make you look uh, and we'll find against your client. Even though we have no evidence of what it actually is since you destroyed it, we're just going to infer the worst thing about you and direct the verdict. So 
he his purpose of writing that letter in that moment was to say anything you do after you get this letter is absolutely a criminal act. So that was his rush to do that. Did any of the numbers in this episode mean anything to you? What do you mean? The like the numbers being like thrown 1, out? Like 11862 and all of these numbers that are throwing around. Are those things that do lawyers know what those mean or are those sort of just, you know, nonsense numbers in the script? People that specialize in different areas of law know their particular statutes by by chapter and verse, if you will. They know the numbers. They know the sections. Uh, I could call out certain things to you that are pertinent to the work that I do. Uh, and I'm sure you could, too. Rob, what are some podcast numbers? Oh, you've got bitrate and stuff like that. Bandwidth. Yeah. yeah. Probably good with your uh, your SEO or your, you know, things like that or particular numbers that are coming into play on download. So if you're a specialist in a certain area, you would know. The crazy thing about a guy like Chuck is that he knows it all, that he can apparently, according to the lawyer that comes in to meet with them at the end of the episode, he can pull things out of thin air. He can cite cases. He's sort of a veritable legal encyclopedia, not just in his area, but in any area. So it was rather surprising to see him just going off and quoting statutes off the top of his head and case citations at the top of his head. That's not very normal since a guy like him probably practices in all kinds of areas. So he's clearly a very, very good lawyer. Okay. Jimmy taking the stuff out of the dumpster that had been through the shredder. Is that legally admissible evidence? Yeah, there's a. I think the show did, by the way, a very good job tonight uh, with uh, the kind of the legal issues here in the broad strokes. So, of course, the debate would be did he invade someone's privacy to do that? Was he on private property? Was it theft? That sort of thing. And there are a lot of legal holdings about when you put the garbage on the curb in front of your house, you subject yourself to having somebody look through that. A lot of times it's somebody from tabloids looking through a celebrity's garbage. Sometimes the feds are looking through a gangster's garbage. One of my favorite legal terms, Rob, is actually the word curtilage. Does that word mean anything to you? And yes, that's like legal? what's in your knee. Yes, that's uh, what you rip if you're a, if you're a sports uh, like if you're a player like Carlos Kobe Beltran Bryant's doesn't always, have any. Oh boy, yeah, look, Carlos Beltran does not have any cartilage in his knee. No, curtilage is like this area outside of your house that's not quite your garage and it's not quite your house, and it's this area where maybe it's like a carport. Or like an attached part of your house that really isn't, it's kind of in public view, but not really. It's like a half and half thing. And there have been some cases about the expectations of privacy that attach there. If you're standing in your backyard, obviously, um, maybe you have more privacy than if you're standing on your front lawn like Tony Soprano getting the newspaper. So that uh, there, he, his argument's pretty valid. Like, hey, it's in a public place. It's trash. There's no padlock on it. There's no expectation that they should expect that that's going to be private. They threw it out and left it on the curb. Curtilage, also the formal name of the tabulator. Yes, Curtilage, Curtilage Clark. Yes, that is. Uh, he was. Uh, he was. He's actually Curtilage Clark, Clark the Fourth, isn't he? <laughs> I believe so. I think he's in a long line of curtilages. Okay. Um. In terms of the money thrown about, uh, twenty million dollars. That figure to Jimmy seemed like it was out of the world, out of this world. Chuck was trying to say that he felt like it was conservative. Um, in your mind, did that sound like a reasonable figure to be thrown out? Like, how are we supposed to interpret that $20 million figure? And again, this is $2,002. I think we're supposed to interpret it as Chuck really thinking that this is a big time case. And I, it sounds reasonable to me because I, I mean, I work in class action and large scale civil litigation. And those numbers don't surprise me when I see them because in a class action suit like that, you're representing a whole lot of people. 
And of course, the number he's asking for at 20 mil, they would probably settle for 10, 15. So 20 is not that big of a deal. But for 12 locations, it seems like an awful lot. But what he's talking about is the conduct that he's accusing them of, basically fraud, uh, violating interstate commerce laws, uh, bringing in this sort of uh, racketeering and influenced, uh, I mean, basically bringing in RICO. Uh, you're basically saying, hey, if we can prove these things, certain crimes, there, there is such a desire to not allow them to happen that they, they'll do things like what they call treble damages, which are whatever your actual damages are, triple it. And that's what you can get for it. Uh, because they really want to discourage people from committing those crimes, like uh, you know, like uh, signing somebody like Michael Kadire. <laughs> How dare you? I mean, my rents wanted that guy, Rob. Come on. Yes, you're going to give up uh, your first round pick for him? No, that was the no, problem. See, no. that's the treble damage. That's the that's the penalty associated because you want to discourage things like Michael Kadire moving from a team to the Mets. You're going to make a team pay a big price. Uh, and that's exactly what, what we're talking about here is that if you're going to go ahead and commit fraud like they're alleged to have committed, the Mets be prepared to pay. Not the Mets. No. The, well, yeah. That Bernie was Bernie Madoff. Madoff. No, he did yeah. that. <laughs> Hello. No. Uh, yeah. We're, we're just going to be in a situation where there is a big penalty associated with this. And it could be a draft pick or it could be treble damages. So, hey, 20 mil. I liked how Chuck spit that out. He finally like he he really grew grew something in that in that scene. He hadn't said something really the whole time. He kind of mumbled out a couple of words. And then when he says 20 mil, he's like 20 million. Yep. I'm very confident about this. That was good, Chuck. OK, was this your favorite. Was this your favorite, Chuck? I mean, Chuck was good here in this episode. I feel like this was probably the best Chuck that we've seen. And I had no issue with the Chuck part of this storyline. I just feel like that we really did not set too much in motion other than we're talking about this case at the nursing home. And unless we find out that this is going to be, this nursing home is owned by Gus Fring or something like that. I just felt like I didn't see exactly where the drama was coming from. That was going to get me really pumped up for next week's episode of better call Saul. Like I feel like the Mike storyline Ended up getting me very excited to see what happens next week. I probably won't be saying all week, like, man, I wonder how this is going to work out with the class action lawsuit uh, with Jimmy and Chuck. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that. And I think that's where the procedural thing comes in. And I think that they have to tread a very fine line. I think where you're really going to get the payoff in this is going to be from the character stuff. So, And I think that's why the episode ended the way it ended with Chuck sort of breezing right into that mailbox, literally touching a cell phone, moving it aside uh, and pretending to be fine or seeming to be fine. And then really coming right back to it, like a caveman in the wild uh, transported into Encino at some point with Pauly Shore. Like he just, he just had no idea where he was at. So uh, that was kind of an interesting way to end the episode. But I think that really shows that like, that's where they're going to be focused on is the drama between Chuck and Jimmy. And will they be able, will they be able to work on this case together? And then the stuff that they really sort of introduced with Chuck and Hamlin and Kim and if Hamlin's going to come in and be involved in this case. That's where the drama is going to come from. Not so much the actual case with the nursing home. All right. So do you think Chuck is cured now? I don't know. Uh, I don't think so because of that moment where he's kind of looking around and he's sort of hearing weird noises and kind of wondering where he is. Like he sort of snapped back to it and he drops the banker's box. But I think he might be uh, he might be able to to kind of get beyond where where he's been, and I think we might be able to see Chuck in some different places here. It certainly looks like that will be the case. 
So if Chuck, I, I took away from it that Chuck realized like, oh, I can do this. Um, oh, because, interesting. Because I felt like that he was like having like the relapse, but then I felt like those noises stopped. And I thought then he was like, oh, you know, I'm outside. And I felt like he ended up coming away from that. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that uh, in next yeah. week's episode. Yeah, it will. And, and that, that is, uh, that wasn't exactly my interpretation, but I, my interpretation all along has been, at this point that uh, where we are with what we've talked about with Chuck is that it it is something with the nurse scene at the bedside. It's something that a lot of it is really in his head and uh, where that will end up. Uh, and if this is going to be the inciting incident that cures him, uh, it's, it's entirely possible. Maybe Jimmy will talk to him now and say, look, buddy, look where you are. You're fine. Uh, and maybe that'll be enough. Who knows? So if Chuck comes to the realization that he is fine, hypothetically, not saying that that's exactly where the show is going, but let's just play out that it did. Would Chuck return to HHM or would he continue to work on this case with Jimmy? I think it's a, I think that's the, the big kind of dramatic bone that we're going to have to wrestle over uh, and, and figure out exactly where, where we're going to come down on that, on that, because he, he could go back to HHM. That's certainly been his kind of intent uh, on paper for a while. But on the other hand, it's the case with Jimmy that really got him so fired up and put him in this position. All of this really stems from, from Jimmy leaving the wills there uh, and, and Chuck going from there. Rob, did you, did you catch that in this episode? I have a, I have a question and I would like to throw it out to the people in the chat room or anyone who's listening uh, to this in the archives. Um, Chuck, when he, when Jimmy's first introducing Chuck to the lawsuit and basically saying like, Hey, look, I found this pattern of things charges this sort of things happening chuck says and this was in something i did did you catch that Mm -hmm. yeah what what is he talking about did i miss something um i felt like uh that he missed the uh overcharge in those documents yeah but i guess that i don't i guess i don't know where those documents came into play with what chuck was doing yeah i don't know chuck right he's working on a will i don't know why the invoice from the nursing home is in those documents yeah and i don't think it was the invoice from the nursing home that gave that that that's the reason that jimmy caught it jimmy caught it because the lady couldn't pay him right and and he was he was a good guy and he said here's just took a 20 from her and told her to send him 120 bucks in the mail and then she said, well, once I get my allowance and that's kind of stuck with him. And he's like, your allowance. Wait a minute. Like we talked about this. You have a pension. So that was how he found out, not because of anything of the actual invoices. And then later he did kind of look at the invoice with her and talk to the other people in the room. But there, it wasn't something that Chuck, I don't know. He did. I didn't think he found the evidence in something that Chuck did. I don't know. I just, uh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand that. I thought maybe I missed something there. Okay, let me ask you a couple more things from the episode. Uh, one more legal question. Uh, they talked a lot about a TRO at the end of the episode. Antonio, does that mean anything to you, a TRO? Well, I do have a couple uh, in place against me. Uh, but no, uh, temporary, restraining, temporary restraining order, Rob. Ah, okay. Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's things to keep me from going into schools and public places as long as I'm wearing a beard. But, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Kentucky has some weird archaic laws. It doesn't matter. We uh, temporary restraining order. The, the, the allegation would be that uh, they're, they're keeping him away from his clients at the job and he could sue right to get a remedy to allow him to get back and talk to his clients. But by the time that he has the whole lawsuit and it's all sorted out and they get a verdict two years down the line, how much money will he have lost because he hasn't met with his clients? So TRO is what they call injunctive relief. You've heard of getting an injunction 
Uh, TRO will allow him to get an injunction and it will restrain them from keeping him out of their business uh, temporarily while the lawsuit's pending. Okay. Um, we haven't talked much about the opening title sequence. We talked a little bit about the music at one point, but we haven't really talked about what they do in the opening titles. And it's always something different. Uh, this week, it was very unique. It was a series of neckties being crawled on by tarantulas. Ah, is that what it was? Because once I saw what it was, I closed my eyes. <laughs> Why? I do. Are you arachnophobic, Antonio? Oh, I like clinically so. Clinically so. Like in some of my favorite seasons of Survivor, I have to. I, I mean, I know how the editors work at this point. When there are certain music or certain scenes that are happening, I learn to close my eyes. Please. God, anyone who's listening to this, if you send me a picture of something, I, I really, I would, I'm, it's going to be horrible for me. Please do not do it. I'm begging you. Is this I'm, reverse psychology? Do you love spiders? Serious. I cannot stand them, Rob. What is your, what should, do you have any big, do you have any giant fears besides Survivor being canceled? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, um, like, uh, you don't have to say what they are, but I'm telling you, like, I'm all, yeah. I'm almost in, like, almost breaking down just thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. I would say I'm, I'm one of the people that I really don't care for the clowns. Uh, clowns, uh, sort of like uh, people in like uh, face paint. I don't really like that. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because, of course, there was a very famous scene with the spider on Breaking Bad uh, with uh, Drew Sharp. Yeah, in, is that Drew Bradley. Sharp's tarantula? Oh, God, even when you say the word, it gives me the chills. Um, no, but when I was listening to the Breaking Bad Insider podcast, Vince Gilligan was talking about how uh, he and his girlfriend are driving across New Mexico, a place I've always wanted to go, uh, even before Breaking Bad. And they're seeing the uh, those spiders uh, just kind of crawling across the uh, the road uh, and their migration seasons. And I'm like, never going to New Mexico. That's it. Done. Don't need to go there. So uh, I and actually when I met uh, Louise Johnson, uh, a fine patron of Rob has a podcast. Yes. She came from Australia. And I said, well, let me talk to you a little bit about Australia. Because I heard you guys have terrible, uh, terrible arachnophobic issues. And she went on and told me everything about all the issues with arachnids in, in Australia. And I said, Louise, I'd love to visit your country, but I'm never coming. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's rough, man. I'm telling you, this is a major problem I have. Okay. Well, let's just talk about the opening title sequence. Should we be taking yes. anything away from what Vince Gilligan is showing us in these? Op is he just having fun or is it like, hey, tarantulas and ties they both start with t that's funny i mean <laughs> is there anything per episode or per season that we should be looking into these i so from what i from what i understand from interviews that vince gilligan has given in from the break from the insider podcast on better call saul their whole intent with the title sequences both with the music kind of ending abruptly with the styling of the letters the font and everything and the weird kind of uh home video style presentation of them is, is kind of in keeping with what we saw at the beginning of the first episode where Gene, uh, a.k.a. Jimmy, a.k.a. Saul, is watching his old commercials on the, the TV screen. The, we talked about how Vince Gilligan is like the VHS master uh, because he appeared on Community uh, in a VHS tape in a pile of bullets uh, game. So they want to create the look of this sort of weird home video, late night cable, early 2000s commercial. And that's what they're doing, showing scenes usually from Jimmy's life as Saul. So we've seen his bus bench. We've seen his Statue of Liberty. We've seen Cadillac driving down the road. Uh, and I guess we've seen now Spiders and Ties. I don't know what the connection with that one is. Uh, but I actually thought tonight when I was like, saw just a half second of it, 
I thought, wow, somebody at some point is going to put together a Hold montage. On. Did you just see a half movies. second of it because that's when you closed your eyes? Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. You you don't. It's hard to tell if it was a tie because it was like between little the little parts between my fingers. Like yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. No, I saw a half second, closed my eyes, and waited for the music to be over. Is exactly what happened. And when in that half second, I thought someone's going to put a montage of these together, and they're probably going to make sense at some point. So it is probably something we'll want to revisit at the end of the season. Okay, so we'll t- uh, keep an eye on that, or at least uh, an eye for a half second on the one with the tarantulas <sighs> and the ties. Um, the opening sequence, uh, the flashback to Jimmy passing the bar exam, uh, some interesting stuff there uh, that we find out that Jimmy passed the bar um, and took his legal sc- his law school via distance learning behind Chuck's back. And so um, was that a surprise to you? It, it, it wasn't necessarily. It was a surprise that it was uh, behind Chuck's back. I kind of thought that maybe it would have been Chuck who encouraged him to embrace a legal career. I mean, I really did think that that might be where we were headed, because if you'll recall earlier in the season, we did see a cold open where Slip and Jimmy himself with the Chicago sunroof uh, was in jail for a possible uh, sex crime or something. And he says it was just a Chicago sunroof. And that's when Chuck is like, look, we're going to get, I'm going to you know, help you get your, yourself on track. And we kind of speculated from there, we would see Jimmy working at the law firm, which we did. Uh, and I never really thought that that would not be involving Chuck. So I wonder if that cold open, Rob, is meant to suggest that there, there's always kind of been a little bit of a gulf between Jimmy and Chuck with regard to Jimmy being a lawyer. Uh, and we're seeing now the historical kind of uh, genesis of that. And maybe that'll play back into this Hamlin uh, story with the uh, possible Rico and the big the class action lawsuit. We also saw Jimmy kiss Kim on the mouth. Yeah, uh, which was uh, that was a that was a, Kim's office. There was very reminiscent of Jimmy's, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, this is uh, she's at the beginning of her career, like he was, and uh, but they were they had already they were already sharing a kiss on the mouth. So something probably had already happened between. We still don't have confirmation of that, but I think that's a pretty good piece of info there. So how close do you think Jimmy and Kim got in between the flashback that we saw tonight and the events that start the episode? Um, I think that, uh, I think that we, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty good question. I mean, it's a couple years, right? Like probably two or three years or maybe, maybe it's only a year, but I mean, she's, I, the, the, her moving into that office, I think is she's been sent out to the other side as a punishment when the Kettleman's left. So I think she's already got a nicer piece of HHM, uh, when we kind of begin the season, she's not in that closet anymore. So I think it's, it's, it's a little bit. It's probably a year or two. I don't know, but Jimmy's just starting out as a lawyer uh, in the context of the series Better Call Saul. So it hasn't been that, it hasn't been that long, I don't think. All right, let's talk about the Mike stuff tonight because we saw just a couple of vignettes on Mike. Not too much that we saw his daughter-in-law, and I want to make sure I get her, her name right. It is Stacy. Stacy. She wants Mike to babysit. And then she's walking around with this, you know, big chunk of change that was left in a suitcase by her, by Mike's son. And she's like, can I spend this money? And she tells him it's a drop in the bucket. Do you think that is Stacy trying to squeeze Mike for more money? Like, did she intentionally bring up that it's a drop in the bucket? Or did she just like, you know, is sort of like, pouring out her heart to Mike. And that was not her intention for Mike to give her more money. I, I don't know what you think. I think it was the latter. I think that there was some intent there. Don't you? 
I mean, uh, it was a little bit like, you know, on the nose to not have had intent. I mean, she calls him out of the out of nowhere and is like, can you babysit for me? And, you know, it just seems awfully convenient. And he's about to leave. And she's like, no, 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 wait, I got just one more thing. Columbo style. Like, I want to talk to you here. Uh, and she she really brings the conversation right to that point. Now, I don't know if she knows that he'll go out and do exactly what he seemingly is ready to go out and do. Mm-hmm. But uh, but she definitely I think uh, she definitely, I think, wanted to to get something out of him more than just a free babysitter. Okay, and so Mike he says to her, right? He says to her, like, whatever you need, whenever you need it, uh, no imposition whatsoever. He's telling her all these things. He's opening the door for her to ask him for money. Yes, and Mike goes to the veterinarian and asks him if he still knows his people. A little bit of a pet peeve with the coming attractions from AMC that I really hate it when a TV show gives you something that happens like in the last 60 seconds of the episode in the coming attractions. AMC is a is a pretty big violator of this, aren't they? Not with Mad Men. Not with the Mad Men. Mad Men gives you nothing. Mad they, Men gives you nothing. Yeah, so they give you like this these weird like a uh, like seemingly uh, I don't know, just like weird beat poems with like half phrases that are shuttered out and 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 just kind of pushed aside out of people's mouths. No, I I you said pet peeve and I was laughing because it was about the vet. Ah, uh, vet peeve. <laughs> I know you. I know you didn't intend that, but it made me funny. Maybe you did intend it, Rob. I don't Did know. not. But uh, but yeah, pet peeve. I think that's true. I, I feel like that happens. Uh, I feel like that's happened with a, with Walking Dead, hasn't it? Um, it probably has. <laughs> it's just like if the entire crux of the Mike subplot tonight is that Mike goes back to the vet at the end of the episode and says, uh, got any work for me? And then that's in the preview. I didn't need to watch the episode. If that's what Mike's story is of him getting to the point where he goes to the vet and says, got any work for me? So, yeah, I mean, don't 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 do that. Yeah, it's tough because I, I know that the point of those teasers is to really get the people who are watching that week's to go watch the next week's. Right. They're not for any other reason than that. And I think they know that one of the more compelling things about the show is Mike. Uh, and when you point out something like the Jimmy and Chuck storyline, not having a lot of dramatic kind of tension that's driving it forward. Uh, what else are you going to do but show Mike talking to that that vet and make that seem like that's a much bigger m- element of the episode instead of that being the thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're using these teasers to try to drive people to watch next week's, I probably would have seen that if I wasn't watching it every week and thought, shoot, man, I got to tune in next week. He's going back to that vet and asking him what we can kill. I mean, so I think that's probably why it's there. But yeah, it's 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 money, man. Money's driving uh, driving the decision there to kind of compromise the art. I'm sure Vince Gilligan's not totally okay with that yeah i'm sure that this was a tricky episode for the amc promo department to cut a commercial from yeah i mean what are you going to show like oh oh chuck's dropping a banker's box what drama like i mean yeah so wait let me let me get the tape so i'm shredded put these shredded pieces together holy cow he found another piece this is great drama yeah uh jimmy's in the jimmy's in the dumpster like well how did he get in that dumpster yeah yeah so i i mean i i I pity them for having to kind of drive that forward because this is a this is a show that was taking a little bit of its time with tonight's story uh the a story and so you you can go the madman route where you just show a bunch of non sequiturs and things that don't make sense uh and make it sort of absurdist uh or you can really and it's not like the walking dead where you can just show them killing walkers uh, you really have to show something dramatic happening. And like I said, Mike drives a lot of the fun drama of this show. So it makes sense that they would show it. 
If you had a choice, what would you choose? The Mad Men version or the, you know, more meaty version? I love the Mad Men version version for its absurdist hilarity. Like I almost think that at this point it's they're fun just to watch. fun with it. Yeah. yeah, they really know what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. Let's go ahead and uh get into the questions. Was there anything else that you wanted to bring up from the episode? Uh I there was one thing and I think it's uh I think we might have covered it, but uh I, I did want to know um if what you, were you were you laughing when the at the scene in the in the in the dumpster or was that just really taking too long for you? I mean, I think that there was comedy there and, you know, I think that they were trying to, uh, to milk it. I, I was okay with it. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I remember thinking like, okay, so it smells bad and he's crawling around in the dirt. We get it. Like it just felt like it was taking a little too long for me, but, uh, but I laughed pretty hard when he, when he was talking about magic flute. And then uh, the guy was like, Oh, magic flute, Mozart. It's great. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, blow on my magic flute. All that was really funny. So the only reason I brought it up is I think that this is a this is a show where you can have Jimmy spouting out like you saying a line like hobo in a wigwam, uh, and that's a really funny line and that's going to make somebody laugh. But it, it's a show that wants to find comedy where it can find it. So I think they looked at it and said, "Let's throw Jimmy in the dumpster. We can have a lot of fun just having him roll around and get dirty." I mean, even got to the point where the guys walked up and threw more trash on him, mm-hmm. uh, and they're talking. I was just like, "Wow, this is really going Pretty on." Pretty jacked bouncers for the old age home. I'll tell you, man, that's uh, those guys. There's a lot more they could be doing in, in Albuquerque. I got news for you. Yeah. Um, I thought another funny line in the episode was when Saul ta- or Jimmy talks about passing the bar exam. And it took him. Uh, it's like losing your virginity. Third time is the charm. Yeah, that was funny. I mean, that's uh, that tells you a lot. It tells you really all you need to know about Jimmy McGill. Like, uh, but I, I, I'm not surprised he took the correspondence course in University of American Samoa. I thought that was a nice tie in. If you'll recall in Breaking Bad, there is one point where Skyler takes a look at the diploma from the University of American Samoa on his wall and just kind of turns her nose up at it and just is like, oh, University of American Samoa. So I thought that was really a good way to show that. But, you know, I I like uh, everything that the show's kind of done in those flashbacks with with Jimmy, because I really I mean, I think it's awesome that we're watching a show that he can feel so, so bad for all the bad things he's done. And also feel bad for the good things he's done in the timeline we're watching on the show. Like this is a very complicated guy, Jimmy McGill. And so I like the the Jimmy that we're getting. I just think that it's hard for the show to make him both funny and evil and good and all these things. It's a, it's a very complex uh, show, a lot more complex than I'd anticipated. I thought it was just going to be, you know, jumping right into the criminal world. And certainly after the second episode, I understand, I think why other people expected that, but I think they're really finding their footing. I think they're, I think we're, if we're going to get a show where we have Mike story of the week and Jimmy story of the week, I think everyone's going to be happier with the Mike story of the week, but it's going to be really fun when those two things come together. Okay. Let's go to the questions and let's start with our first question from riot maker who says, uh, what else do they teach at the university of Samoa of America? I believe it's the university of American Samoa, right? At university of American Samoa. Is that yeah. a real, uh, academic, uh, institution? Uh, I have not, uh, I've not tried to find their website. I, I have not. Are you, is that something that I, I got to think there's some kind of school there, but I don't know if that is it like a university of Phoenix type deal. If they're doing correspondence courses. Yeah. I'm looking them up on Facebook. I, I would imagine they'd have a, I mean, I'm mean, just playing like based on what I know about uh, my school and other schools that play college football. I imagine they have a pretty good college football team there. <laughs> 
Well, they have a Facebook page, um, but it seems like it's created by the people from uh, Better Call Saul because everything <laughs> on the page for University of American Samoa is all about Saul Goodman. Well, if it is a real school, Rob, in the off-season of Better Call Saul, you and I should sign up for a correspondence course there. Yes. Okay. Uh, the, although they were created in uh, October 2012, so I'm not sure if they created the page uh, for during the Breaking Bad timeline. Yeah. Uh, if they offer a course in podcasting, I'll be happy to sign up. I'll uh, teach. Be, I'll teach it. Yeah, you can teach. You teach. I'll, I'll get your... Also, I, I, I find your ideas intriguing, Rob. I'd like to subscribe to your newsletter. Oh, thank you. Yeah, okay. no problem. Uh, Random Nando wants to say, is sidekick Chuck the best Chuck? Best yeah, Chuck. I, that's, uh, I mean, that's what I'm... I'm we got to do a Chuck check. Is this Chuck Prime? Is this our best Chuck? <laughs> I think this is probably the best Chuck. Other than in the Mike uh, Ermin Trout episode. Yeah, and uh, and and that I think that you're probably right. <laughs> the Mike Ermintrout episode wasn't a lot of Chuck, so I, I think I know what you're getting at. Yeah, there. but this was good. He was fine tonight. Chuck was not a problem tonight. No, I, I, I Chuck Chuck is probably a much more intriguing character to the extent he's not simply dragging Jimmy down. I like the Chuck better at the beginning of this episode when he's sort of uh, taking dictation and he says he's. He's kind of, I can't tell, Rob, but it certainly seems to me like he's not that happy that Jimmy has, has gone and done this on his own. He doesn't seem that thrilled by it. That was one of the questions tonight on AMC's Story Sync feature is um, Chuck's reaction. Was he happy? Was he not happy? Like, how did that play out? How did that read for you? Did you think Chuck was happy with the fact that Jimmy went and did that? No, I thought it was pretty on the nose that it was he was unhappy. And, you know, Chuck was like, hey, so um, Jimmy's like, hey, what do you think? So you can get me a job here? And he's like, ah, yeah, let me check on that. And so I feel like that was a clear indication that he was not thrilled with this idea. It's one idea to have his idiot brother work in the mailroom, but another thing to have his brother sort of infringe on the career that he had built at HHM. So did Chuck send Hamlin in to be the hitman into, into his little mailroom party question. and eat the cake? That's a good yeah. question. I have a feeling he, Hamlin is such a heel on his own that he was like, Oh no, no, no. Yeah. I'll go handle no this Jimmy. right now. Yeah. Shut it down. I, I'm going to eat a little cake first, but then I will handle this. Cake boss. Cake boss, cake boss. Yeah, that, that, that might have been what happened. That might have been a little uh, Buddy Velastro or whatever his name is. Okay. Uh, all right. So this one's from Jason Burning, Rob, and I want to throw this one to you because uh, you can kind of, you already talked about it a little bit. Jason says, uh, Darth Zeroni, he says, I got to say, Better Call Saul just isn't doing it for me. It's turning into just another case of the week lawyer show. Well, I definitely uh, hear what you're saying. I mean, I don't want to say it's not doing it for me. I feel like it is, it's in a tough spot because it's sort of much like similar to Jimmy McGill. You know, this show's big brother is, you know, potentially the greatest drama in the history of television and is a real, you know, Chuck McGill of an imposing figure. And here's Jimmy, you know, this upstart show which is sort of has, you know, the same last name for all intents and purposes. And people are sort of looking to it to be the next Chuck, to be this next giant. And it's definitely a different thing. And so if this was a new show, I don't know if we would be holding it to the same standards of like, come on, let's go, let's go. Where's, where's our excitement here? When you have an episode this week where 
really nobody is getting, you know, there's no violence. Not that we, that's the only reason why we watch the show, but no imminent threats, no real great tension, just solid legal drama. Yeah. And, and I think that that's where we're at right now. I would say, uh, Jason, I don't, we, we know what happens with Jimmy McGill. If we've watched Breaking Bad, we know he becomes Saul Goodman. We know what Saul Goodman gets into relatively quickly, and we know where Mike Ehrmantraut ends up. So there's just no way that this show will remain a story of the week show uh, for a very long time. Uh, there may be a little while that this occupies, but I just don't think uh, that this is going to be there. I think that Rob's right. I think, Rob, you're right that, uh, that the, the big brother aspect is there. But I think ultimately it can evolve and, and be like the brother, but also of its own sort of twisted, warped kind of place. Uh, and that doesn't have to include story of the week legal drama. It can very quickly include story of the week criminal action. Uh, and the connection is going to be uh, obviously with Mike and, and what he gets involved with the underworld. We're going to start getting tastes of that. And when that converges, as I said earlier, with the, with the Jimmy storyline, that's where this show is really going to sing. And then, the the sky's the limit. I mean, we could jump into the Breaking Bad timeline and show things from a different perspective. We could jump ahead of the timeline and show things after the Cinnabon. So I just don't think there's a lot of legs in this show being a legal drama. I don't think that's what anyone wants it to be, and I just don't think that's where we'll end up. Okay, let's take another question. Uh, Mike Bloom says, this was the best Chuck episode yet, in my opinion. Do you think the show would benefit from a Chuck flashback episode a la Mike in 5-0? Do you want to see a whole episode about the young Chuck? Not particularly. Do you? No. No. But I will say, Mike, uh, that this kind of touches on exactly what we were just kind of talking about with the HHM thing. If we do see from the point of view that maybe it isn't just Hamlin that's been a thorn in Jimmy's side uh, vis-a-vis HHM. Uh, If you'll remember earlier in the season... Jimmy wants to do a few things and he's kind of speaking as Chuck and he goes into HHM and he gives this bloviating speech and he kind of quotes uh, network and he does all these crazy things. Uh, and then he goes to Chuck's house and Hamlin has been there. He grounded himself and everything. And Chuck is playing ball with Hamlin. Like Chuck is working with Hamlin and that's sort of great to Jimmy, but Chuck and Hamlin have a relationship. I mean, they're the name partners. And the question I think that I would like to see a kind of revealed is, how deep does that relationship go? Uh, is this something that Chuck has sold out, Jimmy, or is willing to continue to do that? I don't need a whole flashback episode to tell me that, but I would like to find that out. Okay. Um, I think that we could do that in the opening, in the cold open flashback. I agree. Yeah. All right. Let's take another question. Uh, give us this one from Buddha Ben. Buddha Ben. Buddha Ben asks, what Jimmy told Chuck in the cold open about studying law secretly for three years seemed like a lie. Do you believe him? Yes. Well, according to the University of Samoa, American Samoa Facebook page uh, that they said they posted on March 2013, Saul Goodman donated $5,000 and received an honorary diploma. Well, that uh, it's possible. I don't know. I mean, this is slipping Jimmy we've heard about, right? He did pass the bar exam, though. Uh, So, it you know, it did take him three tries, but he did pass the bar. There are actually a few states, California being one of them that have actually relatively low bar passage rates because you don't have to have gone to an accredited law school to take the bar exam. Uh, and so that may, that, you know, that may be late. That may be what happened. Uh, that it may be that he, that he did honestly just kind of buy a diploma, fake something. It's hard to say. Uh, maybe he got ordained online, like one of those ministers. 
so maybe he can marry Tyson Apostle now. Who knows? But uh, but anyway, it, it's possible or that do his divorce him. if he needs to. Yeah, he, can, he can do it all in one fell swoop, in and out. It's like a drive-through. Yeah. Pick, pick from the menu. Pick what you'd like. A la carte. You can God. do the uh, you can do the annulment. You can do the marriage contract. You can do the separation. Oh, why don't you get your plans in place for your will and your family? Yeah, just kind of drive through and do it all. A little one-stop shop. But uh, and that's you know that's kind of uh, that's kind of the Jimmy McGill's got to kind of be that way. But I think that's actually a pretty good observation that he might not have ultimately done the correspondence course thing, and he might have just kind of faked his way into this. Uh, but he was able to pass the bar, so ultimately he did get some kind of work behind it to the point where he was able to pass the bar. Okay, a uh, few more questions. Oh, Zach Brooks says. Was the first guy that Jimmy delivered mail to named Gene and syringes in Nebraska? Is this foreshadowing? Yeah, I thought you were going to read that question in, in a Frank Underwood voice, Rob. You want to try that one again? <laughs> uh, no, that's okay. We don't have to do Frank Underwood. All right, all right. I'm just I'm looking forward to that that feedback show uh, on on post show recaps here. Uh, yet to be the, scheduled. Yet to be scheduled. Yet, yet to be scheduled. Now, look, everybody, sure. just wait. Now hold uh, hold on a minute. We're gonna push. I it feel back. like I'm entitled to a feedback show, Rob. We're gonna do. Yeah, that uh, you get you're entitled to nothing, Antonio. Oh, you get it. nothing. Damn it! Oh well, America works one way or the other. The, yeah, this is a this is a good question from Zach. I the, look the Nebraska stuff is not an accident, right? You wouldn't think so. Yeah, it's a nice little tie-in. I I, I don't know if it's going to be anything other than that, but it's it's a nice little tie-in that uh, that he's talking about Nebraska here. The Cornhuskers, yeah. Cornhuskers, yeah, I bet you that that Zach, uh, being a Michigan State man, loved that Cornhusker shout out. <laughs> really, probably rubbed in the wrong way. Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right, let's do another question. Uh, what about this one, Antonio? From Jif uh, Probst. This is Jif saying Chuck is still a partner at HHM. Could HHM swoop in and take this case away from Jimmy? Yes, they did use HHM's Westlaw subscription and HHM's printers for their research. And Kim seemed to have a problem with that. Could she bring this to Hamlin? Yes. No, I think that's ultimately the uh, real betrayal that I think could be the thing that upsets everything. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit earlier in the episode, obviously. And I definitely think that uh, that the teaser is there. I don't know that she seemed so... there. I wouldn't say she seemed upset about it. That's one thing I would take a little bit of issue with, Jif, is that, uh, is that ultimately I think she seemed something about it. I'm not sure if it was upset. I think that that's that sort of questionable emotional choice that the actress made, Rhea Seorn made, uh, is is kind of interesting, and it's what we should probably keep an eye on. I'm not sure she was going for upset there. Definitely a little bit taken aback, but I'm not sure why. She tried to pin it on Chuck, right, by saying, are you sure he's okay? Because last time I saw him, he was, you know, but but I don't know if she was uh, worried about Jimmy, worried about Chuck, uh, uncomfortable with her own position, thinking about taking this back. I don't know. I think there was there was something there, though. So do you feel like what happens is that they take the case back or they steal the case from out from under them, and then Jimmy is like, uh, that's it. Now, now I have to be slipping Jimmy. Now I'll be Saul Goodman. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, it, they could really kind of cut him out. They could... They could pay him off, right? They could give him, uh, they could give him a few. Uh, they could give him a really, really sizable sum of money, maybe even a million bucks, like maybe something really big there. Uh, and and maybe that's where it goes out. I, I, you know, we had other comments saying that this is probably some end of the season drama popping up. I think we recognize that. So something's going to go down with this, I think. And the question is, uh, maybe maybe HHM pushes Chuck away, and 
maybe Jimmy and Chuck become inextricably linked. But I think it's a better story if Chuck sort of kind of pushes Jimmy away. Uh, we saw him right near the end of this episode. He's like, oh, do you want to you want to handle that TRO, Jimmy? Jimmy, where are those files I asked you for? And Chuck is all in work mode and Jimmy's laying asleep on the couch again. So maybe he's just not cut out for this, man. This isn't what makes him invigorated. He needs to do that criminal work. All right, let's do two more questions. Okay. Uh, Alex A says, uh, now that we're this far into the season, what do you guys think that the season finale cliffhanger will be? I read that as Alexei. Ah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's Alexei. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. End of season cliffhanger. Um, I, I mean, earlier this season, I thought it's Chuck kind of going back into a real bad mode where he's got to be committed and Jimmy's making that decision. I still think within the context of the story we're telling now about this big lawsuit that we could get there. Uh, and so I'm going to stick with my guns on that one. Rob, do you have another cliffhanger we might see? Um. Could it be a Mike cliffhanger? Yeah, uh, it absolutely could. That's kind of what I'm talking to you on right here. So yes, like, yes. No, I mean, could it be something where we where Jimmy uh, ends up needing Mike for something or something? Like I feel like that the cliffhanger is probably going to be because right now Mike and Jimmy are sort of like running in separate storylines, and we need something to get them. Like they've had a you know a brief encounter, but I don't know whether it's this murder investigation or it's something that needs to get these two back on the same page. Maybe, uh, maybe Jimmy's going to get cut out by Hamlin and maybe he's really going to want to exact some physical revenge on Hamlin. Uh, and that's where Mike comes into play. That would be pretty cool. He's going to go beat up, uh, Hamlin beat up. If Hamlin's lucky, I mean, where would he stop if the, if the violation is, is Shakespearean? I mean, he could go much, much deeper than beat up. Okay. All right. Let's do one last question. Antonio. Yeah, this is from Chris Berger. Uh, Chris, in the chat room still. So thank you, Chris. Duke Forrest on Twitter uh, says, tell me if I'm reading this wrong, but did Magneto just eliminate the world's electromagnetic field? What do you think, Antonio? Is that, is that what happened? Is that why Chuck is able to leave the house? Is that something that, that plays on your radar, Rob? Are you a big X-Men fan? Uh, not a you know big, big fan, but I've seen a, a bunch of the movies. I enjoy them. I think it, it's. It, I think it's more likely that Jack like Bauer. Picard. You like? Well, of course you do. Yeah. yeah. Jack Bauer did not prevent an EMP bomb going off in Los Angeles. The pulse. And yeah. the, the pulse from that EMP took out all electricity in New Mexico. Okay. All I right. I think if this show exists in the same universe as Twenty Four, I want to believe. Probably does, and also that the height of Twenty Four also. That's what I mean. So I like to think that all this is going on in Los Angeles and New York, and and it, nobody is any the wiser down there in New Mexico. Uh, Paul Borges in the chat room was asking for uh, what's the movie quote tonight? I well, I mean, there was a direct quote from Jimmy Stewart uh, in the movie Bell Book and Candle, which is a late 1950s movie with Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart and Jack Lemmon. Uh, and I only recognize that because I'm a I'm a big fan of the movie Vertigo by Alfred Hitchcock, which Kim Novak is in and I'm and Jimmy Stewart is in. So I know the other films that they've done together and uh, I've seen this film. And so when I saw uh, Jack Lemmon sitting there on the couch, I recognized it, but I guess that's the movie shout out from tonight. Did no, I, yeah, I thought when uh, Jimmy is trying to get past the bouncers and they're like pushing him around and tell me he can't come in. He's like, Oh, what are you guys doing? Making soil and green back there. Yeah. Good call. That is another one. That's an excellent call. There's yes. a soil and green reference as well. All right. So Antonio, what do you want to talk about for a, a hashtag tonight? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. We got a. We had. Uh, we talked an awful lot earlier in this episode about curtilages. Curtilage, yes. The curtilage Clark is a really good hash, hashtag. I feel. 
Uh, what about Vet Peeve? Vet Peeve is excellent. I, I think Vet Peeve is, is where I'd... Can, can you quickly... I mean, I, do we want to make sure there's not a Vet Peeve, uh, <laughs> something that's gone on there? Because I'd hate to see... Unless it's uh, happening simultaneously, I think we're probably okay. Okay, so Vet Peeve is good. I like that one. Yes. Uh, curtilage could be tough to spell. Yeah, I don't want to have to spell that. And, and Google is probably going to correct uh, me if I look it up. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. All right. So did you mean Kurt Hellege, Clark? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Antonio, uh, great work uh, this week. Uh, what's coming up on the Justified podcast? Oh, Rob, Justified is rolling in a full, like uh, out of control, Back to the Future Three style, a train on the tracks, kind of heading toward a crazy chasm at the end of the season. Like this is just. This is really building. Uh, oh, I need to think really, fourth dimensionally. I do. You have you got. You're not thinking fourth dimensionally, Rob. Like it's just not happening. And these are my children, Jules and Vern. Yeah, but, and then uh, and then uh, there's going to be a kid that points at his unit. I, by the way, Rob, it, Rob has a podcast history. I was the one who sent you that video a long, long ago. Yes, very good. Yes. So well, the, uh, I the know circle exactly is where complete. you're at with that. The, the circle complete. is complete with that. No, I, justified is. Uh, is really building to a very uh, dramatic conclusion that Josh Wiggler and I are having a lot of fun talking about it here on Post Show Recaps. You're talking with Josh about Walking Dead, right? Walking Dead season finale is coming up this Sunday. We'll do our Walking Dead feedback show and then bring on the Walking Dead season finale this weekend. And also, Antonio, I was listening to you last night talk about the first two episodes of Community with Mike Bloom. The great Mike Bloom, yes. who loved this episode of Better Call Saul tonight. We, uh, we like the community, uh, and there's some interesting stuff about this season and the move to Yahoo and the kind of meta theories that are developing about how Dan Harmon is talking about that move in the context of the characters on the show. Uh, so we talked about that at length. I think that Mike found it really interesting. I know I did. Uh, and so uh, we'd love to talk community with you guys. Like, let us know. Are you doing weekly recaps on community or are you going to be checking in throughout the season? We're going to be checking in throughout the season on, and, and uh, unless there's some probably, you know, they're going to do another paintball episode for the, for community fans this year. Uh, and we'll probably check in after that and compare it to the other two and talk at length about the other two. And then anything else really significant that comes up, we'll probably check in. Okay. Also, we kicked off season four of the Seinfeld recap podcast as well on postshowrecaps.com. So a, a lot going on at postshowrecaps and at robswebsite.com. All right. So we'll be back next Monday night. Only two episodes left. Thanks so much, everybody who checked us out live and in the archives. Thanks, Scott St. Pierre, for pulling the questions. And we'll be back uh, next week. Take care, everybody.